Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Glad to be with you today. Today I thought I would take a look at the recent... Uh, conversation that Elder Bednar had in a question-answer session, specifically one question, where he's asked by a member in Chile uh, how a homosexual member can remain faithful. I want to preface this episode, though, with this. Um, being a-, a LGBT ally, and by that I mean that I care deeply about the uh, the gay members of the church, transgender members of the church, intersex members of the church, to the extent where I want to give them safe space to be working out their own salvation. And, and my concern would be doing an episode like this that, that covering some of this will be a trigger or traumatic, uh, for some of our, our gay members, specifically our youth. And so what I would say is that I support you. And if, if listening to such things is going to be harmful, then please just skip this episode. Also, if in the midst of your faith journey, you're struggling and you're having a hard time, uh, I would welcome you to reach out to me. So I'm living now in southern Utah, and, and me and a couple of friends of mine, we've been talking about ways in which to try and help LGBT youth specifically in the southern Utah area. And and one of those ways would be just to, to be a contact and to be... Um, a reference point where you could you could call me you can you can email me you can reach out to me and I would I would welcome your phone calls your emails uh, I would welcome a face to face conversation I simply want to validate you and and help you uh, to move forward in faith but not to to feel like you're less than in the eyes of our father in heaven and so again skip this episode if you need to but if you also want to reach out to me feel free to do so you can uh, start by just reaching out to my email, which is realmormon, R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N, at gmail.com. And at that point, I'll be happy to give you a phone number uh, that you can call me at. You can also find me on Facebook. You can find the podcast on Facebook. But if you message me on Facebook, message my my personal Facebook page. Just look for Bill Real. I don't think you can really – you'll struggle too hard to find it. It should be there pretty quick. And uh, and with that, let's uh, jump into this episode, and let's start with Elder Bednar's uh, opening thought. This is a question from Chile. Our translation has to be perfecto. <laughs> How can homosexual members of the church live and remain steadfast in the gospel? First, this is the this is the money question. This is the question that that all of us progressive Latter Day Saints are wondering. We're wondering how somebody can be a a gay person and be authentic to themselves and still progress and move along in the gospel. How can we find a space for them that the church can take care of them and love them and support them and help them to move forward? 
And, and unfortunately, Elder Bednar decides to change the question. First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. So I totally get where he's coming from here. And I think he's gotten a lot of flack on the internet. And, and some of that I think is deserved. And, and some of that I don't think is. I understand what he's saying. This idea that there, that there is no homosexual members of the church. He's playing on this idea that our behavior doesn't define us. That, that all of us have, uh, inclinations, that all of us have, tendencies, all of us have certain temptations, and that amongst those, and some of those are good and some of those are bad, but amongst those, each of us choose and decide how we're going to act and how we're going to live our life. But I, I absolutely disagree with this idea of this flat-out statement that there are no homosexuals in the church. And the trouble with that is that the church itself acknowledges that there is. In fact, one of those is on the church's website, mormonsandgays.org. If you scroll about halfway down, there's a picture of the Savior. He's holding a, a young a young lamb. And the heading says, Love One Another, the Great Christian Perspective. And here's what it says. Jesus Christ commanded us to love our neighbors, whether sinner or saint, rich or poor, stranger or friend. Everyone in God's small world is our neighbor, including our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. You see, the church acknowledges that there are homosexual people, that there are gay and lesbian members of the church. And so for that reason, Elder Bednar, I totally get where you're going with this, but there is a lot of risk here for for hurt and for marginalizing to be done and for a contradictory message to be given because when you deny somebody who they are and we'll get into this there's just a lot of room for hurt and when people receive mixed messages on one hand they're being told that the church is trying to work with them and on the other hand they're being told that who they are at their core is unacceptable it uh, it can be harmful to others it can be harmful to individuals. We are not defined by sexual attraction. We are not defined by sexual behavior. We are sons and daughters of God. And all of us have different challenges in the flesh. So I, I completely agree with his point here, other than I might I might take a little different direction. I totally agree that we are we are children of God. And that because we're children of God, our, our sexual attractions don't define us. They don't. And our sexual behaviors don't define us. That as children of God, each of us is on a path, a journey to, to hopefully get back to our Father in heaven and that God, God is working to help each of his children, every one of his children, whether in the church or out of the church, whether, whether temple worthy or not, to get back to him. And in some ways, it is the church's responsibility to assist every person and I sometimes feel like in the church, we take certain sins and we say, that sin, that sin's so bad, we have to find a way to, to get you out of our presence. And, and then other people, we say, ah, that sin's not so bad. We can handle the smell of cigarette smoke. You know, we can handle you breaking the word of wisdom. In fact, we might even let you hold some callings and do some things. And I just think we draw these hard and fast lines. And I don't see the Savior ever really getting into the magnitude of sin 
And, and yes, we've got a scripture or two that we can kind of point to, to, to say some of that, but the savior during his mortal ministry seems to avoid that completely. And so if it were my, if it were up to me and it's not up to me, but if it were up to me, my preference would be to say, look, sin is sin. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us has, has horrible sins. So the, the high priest who has a porn addiction, who does it behind uh, closed doors, uh, at night in his, you know, in his, in his privacy of his own home that nobody knows about. Why, why does he get to continue? He gets to do whatever, you know, he wants on Sunday as far as participating. But the homosexual member has to completely disappear from our presence. They just can't be around and neither can their kids. It just seems like the church's job is to assist everyone from where they're at to help them move forward. And so I would agree that our sexual attraction doesn't define us. Our sexual behavior doesn't define us. We are children of God. All of us fall short of, of the glory of God. None of us are worthy to be in his presence. And yet the church's job is to assist each person in moving forward where they are at in the here and now to get there. There are many different types of challenges. Would it be a challenge to be very beautiful or very handsome and in the world in which we live, never develop deep character because we're able to open doors and have success just because of our physical appearance and we become shallow and superficial in many aspects of our lives. That can be a challenge in the flesh. Whoa, 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 whoa. As one of the better looking members of the church, this one is really offensive. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is, this, this comes off as a really kind of superficial thing to throw out there that like to talk about being good looking and that someone who's good looking isn't developing deep character because life comes easy to them. Uh, I think each of us in this life have our own challenges and that God has shaped those challenges to us. And I think Mormonism testifies of that. And so to say that, you know, the rich man had it easy and the poor man had it hard, I think that negates the idea within our theology that in the pre-mortal life that God, God shaped our life experience to the things that we needed, our own personal needs and, and the challenges we needed to improve. And that each of us have a different lot in life for that reason. And so I think to, to go down this path just seemed kind of odd. Um, and again, just maybe perhaps a little superficial. Some people have physical limitations. Yes. They may be born with a body that is not fully functional. Or we may have an inclination to be attracted to those of the same sex. So... Uh, <laughs> This to me, in all honesty this time, this to me would be one of the most offensive parts of what he's saying. To compare somebody's sexual attraction, which is such a giant chunk of who they are. It's not just their attraction. See, the church wants to say it's about attraction. It's not. When you take a gay individual and you look at how they interact with the world, in every aspect of their life, often... And again, there's a spectrum here and I get it. But if we were to take a hundred LGBT folks and compare them to a hundred straight folks of the same gender, we're not talking about the difference being attraction. We're talking about the difference being them as a complete person, as a complete person. Like, like you take, 
a gay man. And generally speaking, some of their traits will be more feminine. And it has nothing to do with sex. What it has to do with is who they are at their core. And so now what you're saying is that who they are at their core is like a physical handicap. And I, I just think this is apples to oranges and, and deeply offensive. And it's deeply problematic when one understands the biology and the science in the, in the honest to God truth of what it means to be gay, what it means to be straight, what it means to be bisexual, what it means to be asexual, what it means to be transgendered, what it means to be intersex. All of these things are on a spectrum. And to say that this is about attraction, to me would be deeply hurtful. Deeply hurtful to those who, um, who already are feeling less than. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we are blessed with moral agency. So I take up a little bit of a theological issue here, and I think it could be argued. I'm not saying Elder Bednar is wrong. But this idea that because of the atonement we have agency, I'm not quite putting, connecting those dots. If I'm not mistaken, agency is part of the eternal plan. Agency has always been. Even in the pre-mortal life, before a plan was decided on, we had agency. Agency is an eternal principle. Yes, Lucifer wanted to take that agency away, but it's the reason, the primary reason at least, why his plan was denied, was because he was going to absolve us of agency. Agency is eternal. And so agency, at the very minimum, comes from our Father in Heaven as he initiates this idea that we're going to go down to earth Yes, a savior needed to be provided. Yes, someone needed to make an atonement. But my agency doesn't come from the savior Jesus Christ atonement. My agency is an eternal part of the plan that has always been. Even before I as an intelligence was organized. Agency was an eternal piece of the plan. And it was there long before a savior was selected to make an atonement. Agency is the capacity to act and not simply be acted upon. This is a bottle of water. It's an object. It has no capacity to act. It is an object that can only be acted upon. So this object moves if I cause it to move or if some other force causes it. My wife is afraid I'm going to hit her with a bottle of water. You and I are not objects. We are agents, blessed with agency because of the atonement of Christ. And with that agency, we are to act and not be acted upon. That agency gives us the capacity to determine how we will respond to the variety of challenges we experience in the flesh. So you choose, you act in accordance with the teachings of Christ. There, there's so much in this, this quote that I don't know that I can even unravel all of it. So the, the trouble becomes one of what are the options, right? The the LGBT member of the church, just let's take a gay man or a lesbian woman. President Hinckley suggested that it is no longer appropriate that they try to marry somebody of the opposite gender to be in a mixed orientation marriage, that those will fail at a much higher rate. Those will be a lot more devastating and harmful 
to all the people involved, including the children. And it's just no longer recommended. So we ask our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters to remain single their entire life. And, and some of us within our theology, really the only solution within our theology is that after this life is over, God will fix you, that God will make you straight. And then you'll be an active participant in the plan of salvation on the other side of the veil. The trouble with that is when one gets into the biology of all of this and the, and kind of wrestling with what does it mean to fix somebody who's gay? You're not just taking their attraction and changing it. That's part of, it's intertwined with who they are. I mean, there's, you just can't take somebody who likes someone of the same gender and on the other side, make them like someone of the opposite gender. This is, this isn't just about attraction. This is about who they are at their core, every trait of themselves intertwined with this. And so, I think it's it's bad theology when one is informed of biology and science to say that God can just unravel all this on the other side and that this wasn't you know you were you were just given this as a challenge because much of their experience in life and who they are and how they how they deal with other people and other things is is this is just part of them. And so you can't just, by the time you change their attraction and assume that all these traits about them are going to be fixed, all of a sudden they're a completely different person than who they are in the here and now. And I, and I think gay people wrestle with that and they say, I don't, I don't think I want to be somebody completely different than who I am because then what's the point of even being here if you're not even yourself? And so back to what I was saying, we've given them no solution. To say you're, this is going to get fixed on the other side and that someone's going to be made from a gay person into a straight person with all the the connecting pieces and parts to that, I just think that's bad theology, horrible theology, hurtful theology, marginalizing theology. But then to say you have to be single in this life and then we don't really know what happens on the other we can't do that. God has said it is not good for man to be alone. And, and God made the person like this. Like, like this isn't just him creating somebody that has a challenge of attraction. This is him com- creating a complete individual who, who their being gay is not just about sex. It's, it's completely part and intertwined with who they are. And so in the end, we've left them with no options, right? The single sister in my ward who wants to get married, but is not, and hasn't been for a long time. She's 50 years old. She's never been married. She still holds out hope for the desire. She still holds out hope in the desire that this is going to happen. But we've told our gay members that while the rest of us can enjoy the plan of salvation, you really are somehow, some way, sitting outside of it, you don't have any type of role to play in the plan of salvation. You simply don't fit and it's not working. Simply being attracted to someone of the same gender is not a sin. There are many members of the church 
who may have some manifestation of that attraction. They honor their covenants. They keep the commandments. They are worthy. They can receive the blessings of the temple, and they can serve in the church. Except that so very few of our members who are LGBT are able, who who feel uh, the ability to navigate this life alone, to navigate this life never being able to hold another person's hand, never being able to kiss another person, never being able to go on a date with somebody, never being able to enjoy the, the lifelong companionship of someone they care about and who cares about them. The rest of us hold out hope, at the very minimum hold out hope that it'll happen. And even if it doesn't, our theology provides it on the other side, that chance will be provided to them. But for the gay person, they have no eternal option. And in the here and now, sure, some are able to do it. There's a, there's a, there's a percentage who can marry someone of the opposite gender and make it work. But so many of those marriages end in divorce and end in serious harm to those involved. Sure. There's a few people on the spectrum who are, who are somewhere along the line of being somewhat bisexual or have some attraction to those of the opposite gender that they can make it work. But there are others who are so far to one side, it would be completely outside of themselves. And to say, look, you can just use your agency, you can just be single the rest of your life, and you can enjoy all the blessings of the gospel. And God bless them who can do that. But so few are capable. And so we're providing a theology, a church, a system that for this group reaches so few that 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 Heavenly Father has to have his heartstrings pulled to see the church being so ineffective in the life of its of his gay children. It is when we act on the inclination or the attraction, that's when it becomes a sin. In other words, the only way to be in the church and to be worthy is to live your entire life as a single, lonely person with no hope in the here and now or the hereafter of having someone to share your life with through eternity and through your mortal life. And that in our theology, celestial glory, the highest glory that we all wish to attain to is made up of those who are husbands and wives sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise sealed to their children and to their parents and to their grandparents and beyond for all time and eternity. And yet we leave these individuals to essentially be sitting outside of that circle with no hope or promise that anything can be fixed or be, be corrected. How sad. How sad. So, the way I, the reason I began my answer as I did is that in this question, 
the word homosexual was used to describe or label a member of the church. It's an inaccurate label. We are sons and daughters of God, and we determine how we respond to the variety of challenges that we face in mortality through the proper exercise of our moral agents. Except again that LDS.org acknowledges God's gay and lesbian children. And so again, the church is going to have to choose which message it's going to hold to because it can't play both sides of the fence. But it wants to, and I can see that. But it can't. The right thing to do is to pick one or the other and not try to hold ground on both sides. Now I want to speak very directly to you. The world teaches that we must be tolerant and accepting. There are some things we do not accept or tolerate. We love all people with whatever challenge any person faces. The purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the Savior's church is to assist people in receiving the strength to deal with the challenge. So we do not discriminate and we are not bigots. If, and I say if because the general authorities will never, ever, ever, ever address and answer the set of questions I'm about to ask. But if you took the quote I just played and you place it in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, the same exact thing could have been said about our black members of the church who we who we did not allow to go to the temple, that we did not allow to have priesthood, and we marginalized and ostracized them from parts of the plan of salvation. And so here's my question I would lay out, that no general authority in the Quorum of the Twelve or First Presidency or Prophet of the Church will ever address directly. I wish they would, but they won't. It's this. If the church acknowledges today that in the past, the church unitedly, all 15 top men agree in agreement, taught ideas that some of God's children were for things they had done in the pre-mortal life or challenges for whatever reason they had in this life were not worthy or were not capable of going to the temple. We're not capable of participating in the gospel fully. And that today we admit that at least parts of the things we taught unitedly as doctrine are now disavowed theories. That in essence, the prophet can teach false doctrine and can have even claimed that it came from God. That the top 15 men, the president of the church, the first presidency, and the quorum of the 12 can teach false doctrine, and can claim that it came from God. Then, how are we to know today that the brethren aren't doing the same thing? And is it possible that today you're wrong? And if you say with certainty there's no way today you're wrong, then how do you explain those men in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, who didn't think they were wrong either. And when we answer that question, then we'll open up the door to making some headway and making room for our, for Latter-day Saints in our faith, regardless of where they're at, to be able to have the church assist them. We extend Christ-like love to all sons and daughters of God. But what is the purpose of the Father's plan? We come to the earth. 
We are blessed to receive a physical body. Marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God. And the family is central to the father's plan for the eternal destiny and happiness of his children. And again, what every gay and lesbian member of the church has heard is this. A. I either marry someone of the opposite gender who I'm not completely attracted to. Knowing that my chance of that blowing up in my face is way high and that the church does not recommend me doing that. Or I continue the rest of my life and perhaps even through eternity being single in a plan that says that one needs to get married and one needs to have children. In other words, I don't fit in the plan. And this is so hurtful. The opening question the person asked was, how does a homosexual member benefit? How does the church help them? And what, what Elder Bednar is saying right here is, sorry, they don't fit. The church can't help them. And that's where the disconnect is. That plan is halted in anything but a marriage between a man and a woman. The plan is halted. <laughs> My heart goes out to you in the church who have been told that the plan is halted for you. I bear testimony the plan is not halted for you. That our Father in Heaven is working to bring you home and that our Father in Heaven wishes you to be happy and that our Father in Heaven has a plan for you. And regardless of what the consequences are for me, I bear testimony that God loves you and that you are His child and that He has a place for you where you can indeed enjoy all the blessings of his gospel regardless of the present station of his church now joseph smith didn't create the plan thomas monson didn't create the plan god the eternal father created the plan the savior through his atonement makes the plan operational effective in our lives and the father has not changed his mind about how the plan should operate there, there is a lot of risk in this statement in throwing God under the bus. When, when the 1978 revelation happened, God did not change his mind. Fifteen men from generation to generation taught, testified of, and believed in false doctrine. And that revelation in 78 came. And Elder McConkie acknowledged that you need to forget everything that I and others have said on this topic. We were wrong. And when you say that God has not changed his mind, you are setting it up so that someday when the change happens, you're going to allow some of that blame to fall on God. The reality is that we as a church might be getting it wrong. We've done it before. And when we did it before, we thought we were getting it right. All 15 men from generation to generation to generation thought they were getting it right. Only to say, oops, sorry, we screwed up. Somehow, all 15 of us, generation to generation to generation, weren't in tune enough with the Holy Ghost to recognize that we were racist and prejudiced and that we were thinking and saying and teaching things that were not in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to say that God hasn't changed his mind. God didn't change his mind before either. Unfortunately, we, as God's children 
are prejudiced. We hold cultural views. We think certain things and we like holding our ground and never ever giving it up to welcome anything new. And in such, God is inhibited from giving further light and knowledge until we are ready and until we ask the right questions and until we get past our arrogance and our pride and willingness to say, let's just set aside what we think and let's just see if something else might work. Then God stands there with his arms folded, frustrated with his children who are unwilling to open up to new further light and knowledge. So please do not let the voices of the world confuse you or lead you in a different direction. As you come to better understand the Father's plan, then you will understand the purpose for marriage between a man and a woman. I hope that's responsive to the question. It's not responsive to the question because you've said that the Father's plan is marriage between a man and a woman and these folks have no viable healthy option as a whole. You've given them no option. So you've not even answered the opening question. You've not even answered it. Our homosexual members of the church who, who cannot live in a mixed orientation marriage, who that's not going to be healthy for, how do we serve them? How do we provide salvation to them? How do we give them a chance to enjoy all the blessings of the gospel? And we still have no answer for that. So am I a voice in the world? Perhaps. But the questions I ask, nobody dares to answer. Instead, we just change the question. See, a related point is that there is a divinely designed difference between a female spirit and a male spirit. You need to read and study over and over again the family proclamation. It teaches that gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal mortal and eternal identity and purpose. Again, this is ignorant of the biology, ignorant of the science. To say that there are male traits and there are female traits absolutely ignores what it means to be gay or lesbian and the traits that come along with that from a biological perspective. It is ignoring the science and it is simply holding to old ground that no longer holds up. And if we want to continue to do this for the next two, three, four, five decades, then by all means, by all means do it. But all you're doing is costing more people their lives and their happiness. Adam was that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. And we're not providing any avenue for our gay members to enjoy all the blessings of the gospel in this life and to have joy. We are making it so difficult. Sure, there's a few that can do it, but this doesn't, it doesn't fit when you look at the spectrum of people and where they fall. This isn't all or nothing. It isn't gay or straight. It isn't like, here's a lesbian, but she still has female traits, and she needs to adhere to those female traits. That's not who she is at her very core. So to say that there's male and female and gender is eternal and all the stuff that's in the family proclamation is ignoring and not. It's not. The, the, the trouble here is that the leaders of the church never really want to dig into the trenches on this issue. We simply change the questions and give the answers we want to give but we never deal with the really difficult questions and the truth that we ourselves have to come face to face with when we look at them. And I am heartbroken, heartbroken that we don't make room 
for people, and instead we explain it away by saying they're different than what they actually are. That they're something or someone, or they fit somehow in a way that they just don't fit at the very core of who they are. And until we adjust to this, we are going to keep banging our heads into the wall. People are going to keep leaving this church, and this church is going to become smaller and smaller and irrelevant. So whenever you take those divinely designed differences, the capacities and talents of a female spirit and of a male spirit, and they are sealed together by the power of the priesthood, it creates a unity and a oneness. It creates a whole, W-H-O-L-E, that cannot be achieved any other way. Everything of that last quote ignores the biology and science behind it. It ignores the consequences of our theology. And again, nobody is answering the opening in question. Nobody is willing to sit down with the actual data, the actual science, the actual repercussions of our theology, and wrestle with how this fits. Instead, we give surface answers and we move on. We cannot continue to do this. We are hurting people. Sister Bednar and I have been married for 41 years. She is, other than the Holy Ghost, she is the greatest teacher I've ever had. She does not think like I think. She does not see what I see. And I learn a lot from the things that she sees and thinks that are different from me. Sometimes men and women get frustrated with each other because they don't see things the same way. They're not supposed to see things the same way. And the education that comes with a man and a woman in a marriage ordained of God is one of the richest blessings of this life. Now, we've taken a long time in responding to this question, but hopefully you can sense that the length of this answer emphasizes the importance of this topic in the world in which we live. That's why we've taken quite so long. May I conclude by saying this? I sustain our prophets, seers, and revelators as holding the office of prophets, seers, and revelators, that from time to time God may and has spoken through them. I also understand that at times our leaders claim that they are scripture. But I'm here to tell you that Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, and many others through the Restoration have also testified that at times scripture can and has been wrong. And until we deal with the reality of the real questions that underlie this issue, and we keep avoiding them, we will not move past this. We will not move forward. The given speak of the God who weeps. And I have to wonder if he's weeping this day. May the Lord warm your shoulders. May you have the comfort you need. I bear testimony that God loves his children. And that I stand ready along with thousands and thousands of others to strengthen the feeble knees and to lift the hands that hang down. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Taking out my issues never healed the flame.
sing. 